chance. C'est marrant, ça aurait. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته so the first thing I want to start off with is um, where's all the food and all the sweets and all the we had an agreement last lesson we said that one year anniversary Isn't it? Yeah. Just remind me, is that all we said? Yeah. Okay. So I just want to know what the brothers bought, that's all. Because I know that, mashallah, you're hiding it somewhere. Because it sure ain't anywhere that I can see. 
No, nothing? Let down? So we've been saved by the sisters, yeah? They bought us at least two boxes of celebration. Okay, khalas. So basically, I'm celebrating at home by myself, huh? Yeah, halwa. But modern halwa. Desi halwa is a heart attack, man. What's desi halwa except oil and sugar fried? In, 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 in ten different combinations, in ten different colors. This, this is the real halwa. Yeah. So, are we, have, are we handing this out now or after? or what was, Is there going to be lots of concentration? Or will there be a focus that will go? No one's interested? This is good. I like it when it's very quiet. Because, because, silence is... <laughs> silence is not golden. Not in this... Not in, <laughs> not, not in this uh, Silence is an indication of acquiescence. Acquiescence. <laughs> silence is acceptance, isn't it? Whose silence is acceptance? In which situation? Which chapter of fiqh is silence acceptance of an issue? Okay, so this is in Usul al-Fiqh. In Usul al-Fiqh, the silence of the Prophet ﷺ is acceptance of a action. That's fine. What about in Fiqh? Marriage. Marriage. Yes. Who's marriage? Okay. And the Thayyib? Okay. <laughs> you see someone wiggling, huh? This is <laughs> okay. Let's leave the thayyib. Let's talk about the bikr. What? Tell me what happens with the bikr. No. Anyone know? In the chapter of marriage, the women are of two types, right? We covered that briefly. I wanted to go back and just mention something to, for, for clarification as well. We were talking last week about the examples of the word sunnah, yes? Anyone remember that? And we gave the example that the sunnah here, in the, the Prophet ﷺ said that it's from the sunnah to do what? So to give seven nights to the bikr and three nights to the thayyib. Right, so she will get seven obligatory nights, even though the word sunnah is used. All right, so the word bikr, we're talking about it, and I don't know whether there was some kind of confusion or not, but I, I then I looked into it just to make sure that everything is okay, and um, I wanted to actually mention a few things. If you want to take notes, I mean, you don't need to take notes because the notes will be there. This will be a part of the notes. But I did want to just so make sure that no one has any doubts left in their minds. Um, can anyone tell me what I said or what we discussed about how to define what a bikr is? I think it's important. Yeah. Someone who's getting married for the first time in a valid marriage contract. 
she might not necessarily be a virgin. I think that's excellent. For me, that's perfect. And I, I, I mentioned a statement or a little kind of uh, 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 a maxim where I said that every virgin is a bicker, but not every bicker is a virgin. Okay? So we're going to start just from there, just so that we can uh, get the, the idea clear in our heads. Again, I repeat, every virgin is a bicker, but not every bicker is a virgin. Now, now that you've heard that, let me just step back and say that in principle, when we say the word bicker, we mean virgin. In principle. Okay? Whenever the, there's like a reference to it, it means virgin. But I want you to know that just because of what we just said there right now, technically speaking, it might be possible for a woman to have lost her virginity in a manner that will not lose her the ruling of being treated as a bicker. Do you understand? Okay? The classic one would be rape, for example. The classic one would be zina. Alright? And this is my position. And this is the position of the Maliki school. And that's mentioned by Adardir in Shams Saghir. And it's also the position of Imam Abu Hanifa, alayhi rahmatullah. He, in Al-Bada'i al-Sunai, in one of the most famous books of Hanafi Fiqh, this is quoted from Imam Abu Hanifa. And this is my particular position. As for the two companions, who are the two companions? When we're talking in fiqh, who are the two companions? That's right. Abu Yusuf al-Qadi and Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani. These are the two students, if you like, and the companions of Imam Abu Hanifa, mujtahid imams in their own right, leaders in their own right, scholars of the highest order, and their position generally tends to make up the Hanafi madhab. Remember, of course, that especially yourselves now should know very well that when we say the Hanafi position, we differentiate between what the Hanafi school rules by today and what used to be the individual position of Imam Abu Hanifa. They are often different. Not always, but they are often different. All right? And academically speaking, we should try and achieve clarity on that. Imam Abu Hanifa himself, he said that, uh, and this strengthens our little uh, maxim, all right? that if a woman, um, if a woman is... Uh, uh, Involved in zina or something, and I wanted to. Uh, I'm going to take it back. Get to, just to get a bit technical here. The hymen. The hymen is is a a sheath or like a cover or skin, whatever. Okay, which indicates not absolutely 100% of course, but it indicates virginity, and it's something which is a very big thing in 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 uh, in our in the cultures of the world actually. Because no one's a doctor and working out different tests and this and that. But generally when a woman is married, her hymen is theoretically intact, which is what determines her virginity, which is why intercourse for her the first time is very painful because it will bleed, it will, be, it will split. Now what's very interesting, of course, is that the scholars are often trying to preserve or protect the woman from doing certain activities, okay? Because they don't want her to suffer the ignominy, the, ignominy, the shame of... On her wedding night, the husband turning around and saying, you know what, you're, I've now married someone who's not a virgin. When she might have done, had an accident, um, there could have been an operation, there could have been some kind of very physical kind of sports like horse riding or this or that, whatever, which leads to the hymen breaking and therefore then people start to doubt in her chastity. So generally the scholars want to avoid that kind of scenario for her. All right. Again, obviously, if someone's been there doing sport and had absolutely no 
uh, done nothing wrong, then she is still, of course, a virgin. All right. But I want you to know that the scholars in the books of fiqh they would define whether if someone has their hymen broken, do they still be called? Uh, are they still called bikr? And the answer is yes, because actually their virginity has not been lost. All right. And we go further. We go further. The Hanafis and the Malikis, or the Abu Hanifa and the Malikis, and myself, which is why I mentioned this last week, that even if we, if she, even if she does lose her virginity via a manner which is unacceptable or illegal or whatever, such as, as I said, zina or something like that, then even then we will not call her a true bikr. She's not true bikr, but she's bikr hukman. Meaning she's given the ruling of a bikr. Meaning that she, when she's asked for marriage, she needs to be, uh, she needs to uh, respond in an affirmative fashion. It means that when she does get married, she will get seven uh, nights. So even if she might not technically be a virgin, we do need to apply a ruling to her so that we can give her full rights, as opposed to the one who is a thayyib. The one who is a thayyib, okay, thayyib is the exact opposite. It is the woman who has been, who has lost her virginity. In some kind of marital contract, this is my position, and this is following again Abu Hanifa rahmatullah. All right, Abu Hanifa said it doesn't matter whether the contract is sahih or fasid, meaning corrupt, <coughs> or batin, meaning that something's gone wrong. As long as it was shibhul aqd, meaning that there was some kind of attempt at trying to do this the right way, and this is a masala, this is an issue which often comes up, you know, when we have converts. So we have a convert, a brother and a sister, a man and wife, for example, that they're married, you know, via Christian or just civil marriage, for example, and they come to us. We do not make them do their nikah again. We don't say you've got to do their aqad again uh, to become man and wife. We recognize, the Muslims recognize legitimate marital contracts that were done in kufr. As long as it was understood to be marriage by them, Christian, civil, secular, whatever. Does that make sense? So likewise, likewise, if such a person was to uh, 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 such a person was to have such a contract and they had lost their virginity therein in that contract, then they would they would be considered to be a thayyib. Another example, of course, is that when you are married, and we'll cover this in twenty years as usual when we get to that chapter. But when you do get married, right? There's one thing about the marriage being consummated, okay? And this is the concept of a dukhul or dukhul, alright? And what this means is that when the husband and wife are isolated into a room, and a room where nothing can be seen and so on, like a complete closed bedroom, this, for all intents and purposes, confirms, not, not only does it confirm the marriage, but it also almost um, is called a consummation of the marriage, alright? Now, there's two types of consummation. One is the actual consummation, which requires, obviously, the loss of virginity, alright? And the other type is what we would consider to be a ruling of consummation, meaning we actually have no idea what happened behind those doors. And so for all intents and purposes, someone who's wanting to get married to them again, either one of the two parties, will treat them based upon that reality that they were isolated together. Meaning, let me give you like a practical example. If someone wanted to get married to a virgin, okay, then they would not consider what they would, it would be understandable if he would be saying, well, you know what? They, 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 were, they were together for three days, for example. Yeah? They were together for three days. It doesn't matter the husband comes, we did nothing for three days. Yeah? 
It doesn't matter if he says that. The reality is that they were isolated together. So it's given almost like a ruling. That's why the scholars always differed over what happens actually when you have such a man or woman in, in a, such a scenario. I want to say to you that the, uh, the ulama, uh, uh, I consider someone who has not lost the virginity even uh, after isolation also to be given the ruling of bikr. Even to be given the ruling of bikr. Like imagine, like just imagine a scenario that two the newlyweds they go into a room and there's an almighty kickoff, right? Okay, nothing absolutely happens, and she comes out. Am I going to now treat her? The scholar who differ now. Do we treat her like a sayyid, meaning married, uh, lost virginity, kind of, even though she hasn't, or the fact that yani, you know, they might have done some foreplay or something like that, but then it stopped. It is she get the ruling of bikr, and in my position, she gets the ruling of bikr. She protects the rights because she has the more favorable rights when it comes to marrying again. All right. So I just wanted to, to emphasize that there is difference of opinion on this issue. The Shafi'i school, the Hanbali school, and the two ima, the two companions, they are the op- opposing. They said that if a woman, however she loses her virginity, then she has now lost the title of bikr. She becomes tayyib. So imagine a non-married woman. Who was raped, for example, she would now be given the ruling of Sayyid. Okay? And not Bikr. That's the position of the Shafi'i school, the Hanbali school, and um, the two companions. But like I said, I rule by the position of Abu Hanifa and his Khilaf in this. Alright? So I just wanted to, to mention that. Um, uh, Barakallahu feek. Yes. Um, you, you know, sometimes uh, they do an attack and then, you know, Correct, correct. So if she's doing the care, but hasn't consummated the marriage, yes. Marriage correct. So this is a classic scenario that amongst the pack kind of community, not just pack community, probably all communities, you know, when they do a nikah and then nothing actually happens. You know, Miskina, she kind of stays there for like, you know, next two years while he gets off or something, yeah? Mm-hmm. All right? So if that scenario kind of happens, she would still get the ruling of Bikr, uh, technically speaking. All right? That's good. So um, that's that. I wanted to start, before, before, I, before I start, there's a couple of announcements. Um... First of all, I was asked specifically to make du'a for one of our students whose name is Atif. He's in uh, hospital for we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, That is the first thing. Second, I wanted to give a shout out to <laughs> we received this uh, video from Sister Aisha. Uh, she sent me a video. I think that she wanted this video to be part of the uh, LP experience. I can tell you one thing. It will not be part of the LP experience. It is the craziest video you've ever seen. I, it made me laugh so much that, yani, you know, it was it's a crazy video. I just wanted to just shout out to Aisha and say thank you for the video. It was very ingenious, but I don't think it will see the public light of day because it has been incredibly compromising kind of pictures and scenarios and whatever. And some tunes in the background as well, yani, it's all, it's all crazy. But it made me, uh, it made me laugh anyway. Um, and thirdly, uh, the lesson will be continuing um, as per usual throughout Christmas and so on and so forth. But there will be a announcement um, probably next week with respect to that. Okay, so let's jump in. I think we are on the beginning of Yes, correct. Page one seven one. We are also the notes are up. The notes are up for uh, lesson four and five. Apologies, as I said, that was my fault. And lesson six and seven. Meaning last week's lesson and this week's will be towards the end of the weekend. Again, that's my fault, um, but I am catching up. Lesson four, 
took absolutely ages. And I need you to go back and please review the notes, okay? There have been some very important additions. I had to add a lot of extra clarifications. And also it was educational. I sent it to a number of people, legal people, doctors, this and that, to make it more and more accurate. And um, I, I, maybe I think I'll just mention one, one, one thing right now. And that was, if you remember the position of Ibn Taymiyyah, when he said that it's to do with reducing desire. Okay? And what I want to say is that I think, and I'm making excuses for Ibn Taymiyyah here, that when he says that the process of female circumcision actually reduces the desire, I think that what, she, what he's trying to get to, he's trying to explain two concepts. One, if the actual clitoris itself has nerve endings removed or something like that, then you're reducing actual physical ability of arousal, I think. I think that's what he's trying to talk about in a physical fashion. But I, when I really thought about what he said, I think that what he's really talking about is that if the correct form of circumcision is done, which is the removal of the clitoral hood, which is that crest or the comb of the, of the rooster that we were trying to describe, okay, which is called a, 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 a clitoral hoodectomy, is what I understand it to be in a technical sense, then this actually enhances the experience and makes it easier for her to be satisfied. And when you compare this to the hadith where the Prophet said, and it has, yani, it's not super strong, but it's authentic enough, inshallah. When the Prophet he said that if you don't cut it, don't take, don't, don't get rid of the clitoris, but remove just the, the top skin, okay, it's ashraq lil wajh. It is more brighter for the face of the female, more pleasing for the male. It's almost to say as if that she will be much more satisfied with her husband. And therefore have no need or desire to go elsewhere and outside and think in a certain way. That's where the desire translation comes from. To have desire for somewhere else because actually she's very satisfied with what she's getting. The, the converse would make a lot of sense. The reason that this uh, operation, by the way, is done medically. Medically, right? Without Muslims being involved. I want you to imagine the clitoris itself is the, is the focus of all sensual pleasure. Right? In fact, we said that in the lesson that it is the one part of the body which is a miraculous thing, which has no other function other than to give pleasure. All right? That the skin on top of it can sometimes get so thick and so tight, the prepus, I think it's prepus or prepus? Prepus is what they call it, that skin that goes on top, that actually she cannot feel pleasure. So you can imagine then frustration, unsatisfied, etc., etc. That's when fitness starts, yeah? Desire, thinking about other people, thinking about other options, etc., etc., etc. So actually, when you think about it, Ibn Taymiyyah's words can be uh, 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 moved like this. And therefore, actually, when you think about it, he says it in a very un-PC way, of course, about the women of the East and the West, they have a higher kind of uncontrolled libido. Actually, maybe what he's trying to say is that they're more unsatisfied. But by not doing this, they're not getting enough satisfaction with their rightful partners. Therefore, they're having to go outside and do this and do that and whatever, whatnot. Allah alam. Allah alam. Allah, Allah knows best. But that's the kind of ta'wil that I could maybe understand from his notes. I want to go back and I've explained that in a number of footnotes, number of brackets, which inshallah should make that clearer. All right. So, let's start then. This is now referring to the chapter... Women Sunan al Wudu, chapter the notes on chapter four, the the the, the class notes on page four. Women Sunan al Wudu, al Siwak, wa Ghasr al Kafaini Thalatha, wa Yaji. Oh no, no, we've done that. Sorry, beg your pardon. Uh, number five, number five. Continuing from 
from the sunan of ablution. We've done the tooth stick and washing the hands three times and, and uh, making it obligatory if you wake up from sleep, if you're going to stick it in a bucket. Yeah, We've done that last week. So now we're on page five, the final page of these, uh, this section of the notes. Um, in the Arabic, <clears throat> so from continuing from the sunan of wudu, وَالْبَدَاءَةُ بِمَضْمَضَةٍ ثُمْ اسْتِنْشَاقٍ وَالْمُبَالَغَةُ فِيهِمَا لِغَيْرِ الصَّائِمٍ وَتَخْلِيلُ اللِّحْيَةِ الْكَثِيفَةِ وَالْأَصَابِعِ وَالْتَيَامٌ وَأَخْذُ مَاءٍ جَدِيدٍ لِلْأُذُنَيْنِ وَالْغَسْلَةُ الثَّانِيَةُ وَالثَّالِثَةُ All right. The translation therefore being that to continue from the further actions of the sunan of wudu is to begin by rinsing the mouth and then rinsing the nose, exaggerating in both, in the two of them, except, although, except while fasting, running one's fingers through the beard, running one's fingers through the other set of fingers, and then in brackets I've put, and toes, beginning with the right, meaning everything doing on the right-hand side first, and using new water for the ears, when it comes to wiping the ears, you start using more water, and washing a second time and a third time, meaning the limb that you're washing. So what the Hanbalis, what Imam al-Hajjawi is trying to say is that these are the uh, <coughs> sunan actions. These are the non-obligatory aspects of wudu. So I want to talk about this and explain a number of issues. There's a lot of detail here, but I, I think we can go through this quite quick inshallah. So on page 171 of the Sharh, Sheikh says that first of all, let's make it very, very clear that you don't misunderstand. In the humbly madhab, to wash the mouth and the nose is an obligation. So what's it doing here then? Anyone can answer that? We're going to come to it. We're going to come to it, okay? That it is an obligation. But the question is, what is, what is, why is it being mentioned here? Actually, let me just, uh, let me just explain actually what, 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 uh, what actually it is. Okay? What is madmada? Manmada, okay. <clears throat> uh, give me some water, someone. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Madmada is a word which means to move. The Arabs they say Madmada til that the snake it you know when it moves very quickly, right? So it's about the It's a quick movement, okay? So. Okay, that is to uh, shake. So what it basically means is to swirl water around in the mouth. It's that movement of the water in the mouth. Alright, that's what Shaykh Al-Uthameen says. Al-Istinshaq, okay, is to do nashaq from istaf'ala. Nashaq means to squirt, uh, snuff water. Yeah? So that's istinshaq to squirt, um, snuff, snuff water uh, using the uh, uh, like a what's that drawing breath, inhaling. <laughs> inhaling, sniffing by sniffing, okay, by sniffing um, water into the nose. This is the technical definition of madmada and al istinshaq. And as I said, the Hanbalis, actually a number of scholars, but we're going to come to that later, to wash the face is an obligation. And you will learn 
that the ruling for washing the mouth and the nose follows the face because it's part of the face. So therefore, the washing of the face and the washing of the mouth and the nose is also considered an obligation. So knowing that, why has Imam al-Hajjawi included that here as one of the sunan? Is it talking about exaggeration? No, because that's coming next. The exaggeration is the next thing. Yes. It's gone. Good. Good. What, what we're referring to here, the sunnah here, is to do it before washing the rest of the face. That is what's being said. It's the first thing that you start with. It's the first thing that you start with. Obviously, we've washed the hands. We've already assumed that, yeah? You've washed the hands three times, okay? This is not yani, a part of the actual wudu. It's a sunnah of, sunnah of the wudu, yeah? But when it comes to now, what it, meaning, let me make it, let me make it easier. Imagine you're making wudu. Everyone here washes their mouth first and their nose. Agreed? Yes? And you wash your face afterwards. Imagine now you wash your face and then you wash your nose and then you wash your mouth. What do you think? Tell me what you think. What happens? Why is it okay? Exactly that. Okay? Meaning that the it is permissible, just so for the future, we'll come to this later of course, that if you were to wash your face first, like you just didn't understand what was going on, and you washed your face, and then you washed your, your uh, 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 mouth and your nose after it, your wudu is still okay and acceptable. You do not need to like start again or break and then wash the face again, etc., etc. And that's what we're trying to say. It is a sunnah to wash the mouth and the nose before you wash the face. That is what this point is trying to make. Okay? Now, um, the sheikh says that um, the best way to do this is in three handfuls. Okay? Three handfuls. And... Three handfuls, three times. Even though we're going to come to learn later that to do it even once is sufficient. Okay, But this is the sunnah now. We're now describing what is most complete and what is best. Now, I want you to, to, I want you to imagine that there are, and we will, we will do later when it comes to the wudu section, we will physically do the wudu. We've got some next hookup. We're going to go and stick the camera in the wudu area. We'll have it on the screen. And Shazad's going to do the wudu. <laughs> He's, he's one of the volunteers. Why should I... When people want to volunteer, uh, uh, Nadif, why do we want to put them down? Huh? It's not right, is it? When people want to... You know? When, uh, when did you hear the volunteer? Was he witness? I didn't realize I needed witnessing and this and that. I thought, the guy wants to do it. Yeah, no, why not, man? All right. So, um, we will go through all these actions, of course, later. All right? Um, now I want to mention a couple of words The first word is madmada, Which is to swirl the water around the mouth The second word is istinshaq Which is to snuff water up into the nose A third word which is used in the hadith Authentically <coughs> has been narrated in the hadith Is al-istinthar Al-istinthar Istinthar comes from the verb of nathara Which means to squirt Okay, so this is the blowing out. This is the blowing out part. So sometimes 
the, the description of the wudu or the washing of the nose is described as washing the nose three times by snuffing water up and other times it's described as washing the nose by squirting three times. If you mention the word istinthar, you're automatically assuming that you've snuffed it up. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the words are interchangeable, even though the meanings are completely different. The first one means to snuff up. The second one means to kick out, basically. All right? Now, um, I want to just quickly just talk about the madmada. You know when you... Uh, what are you doing it for? You are doing it to clean your mouth. Sah? Now, I want, what's very important here, brothers and sisters, when we talk about uh, wudu, is... This is not, you're, now, you're now getting into areas where you're now doing this every day. And here's the problem. We just spent a whole year talking about washing, cleaning, about going, doing a stinja and going into a bathroom. And you know the problem is? Is that I reckon 80 or 90% of the people will not have applied what they learned last year. Not because of a will not to, but because when people do everything on automatic, on autopilot... It's very difficult, even though you know what the right thing to do is because you've studied it. But because you've been doing something for years upon years, you just carry on doing what you're doing. So you're still probably going into the bathroom without making the correct du'a and coming out without making the correct du'a. And now when we talk about how you should be doing the water and the nose and so on and so forth, you'll know it and you'll still be doing it in an incorrect way. And so on this point right now, it's a reminder to me and you all, okay, (coughs) that when you now are going through all of your actions... You must just actually physically stop. Like stop hardcore. You know like, when I, you see there's two sides of stopping. Right? If you're coming up to a, a, a traffic light, you stop slowly. And if you're to do the emergency brake, then the whole world kind of goes, Dulali, everyone knows what's going on. Everyone's in shock. I, I'm saying you have to shock your system. Okay? When you walk into a door and you turn that water on, I'm telling you now that you just move smoothly into gear one, gear two, and autopilot takes on and cruise control all the way. And then suddenly you're washing your feet, and then the next thing you don't even know what's happened. Even you'll come outside, five minutes there, you won't even be sure, did I do wudu or not? Because that's how automatic it is. I'm saying to you for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, remind it to myself and yourself, this is an act of ibadah. This is an act which the Prophet when he was doing, he would be doing it and worshipping Allah throughout it. So when he... When he was washing his face, when he was washing his nostrils, he was thinking at every single moment that the water was going in and out, Allah wants me to do this. Allah wants me to do this. Allah wants me to do it like this. And you know what? I'm doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you know, for us, it's even easier because we can visualize the Prophet And when we're washing our hands, all right? And I, I, I just want to share with you that... Our, uh, uh, this is what our Mashaykh taught us. It's very powerful. I mean, I, I find, I find wudu actually very powerful. Because when I am washing my arm, for example, I am thinking to myself that the Prophet ﷺ would make sure that he's rubbing that. Okay? And I'll be looking at it. You know, if you're looking at something, right? If you're washing your hands, right? And as we're going to come to, and you're wiping between your fingers, which is the sunnah to do, and you're doing that, it doesn't make sense, all right, to do that. But you're doing it, and you're thinking, you know what, the Prophet ﷺ did this, and he told me to do it. So I'm now worshipping Allah by following him. It is very important to be in the presence when you're making these acts, which are part of ritual worship. Salah, of course, will do it very much so. So we're learning this dry kind of fiqh, but to make it come alive, you have to sh- you shock your system when you walk in. 
And when you start to then uh, put the water in and so on, and the reason I bring it up at this point here is that I can tell you that most people of this generation, they don't do a proper mud mother. All right? Our parents are the exact opposite. You know when you watch them? Yeah? Like literally for like 10 seconds each one. When these parents look at us, they're like, what kind of a hobby will do is this? Yeah? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some just next level kind of, you know, quick in and out job. It's a huge difference between our generation and their generation. And our children are losing even more. And there's a number of reasons for that. And, and I, 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 for those who studied Fiqh Salah with me, right? I honestly, I gave my theory there. And I honestly believe, and I repeat it again for you now, that I believe that their, their lesser understanding of the religion, their lesser understanding of the secrets behind the act of worship, the reason of that act of worship, the fiqh behind it, makes them more determined to do it properly. It's like, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't understand, right? But my prophet did this, so I'm going to do it like that. That's the same theory for me why when they're praying, if you look at our older generation, how they pray, these are people who have absolutely no idea what they're saying. You ask 10 and 9, nine out of 10 of the elders will not even be able to tell you what Fatiha means. Forget about a surah, forget about anything else. So when these people are praying, what are they, what, how can they make the experience real? How they make it real is that they go on lockdown. They don't even move. Have you seen? They're like so focused in their prayer because they, they make it to themselves like, you know what it is? I'm going to turn this into a real experience. I'm going to make it as artif artificially, artificially. Because there might be another person who's understanding the Quran and he's there, he's living it, he's, his iman's through the roof, he's on another planet. And you know, whereas this guy, he's looking at him, he goes, I can't do it, I can't understand. So I'm going to try and do that artificially. It's like what the scholars used to say when you're reading the Quran and you can't cry. They said, make yourself cry, even if it's fake. Even if it's fake. Because you know that you should be, but there's a problem because you're not connecting, you don't understand. So at least show that you're trying. Some of the scholars used to say that. And I know he mentions that all over the place. So I'm saying that I think our older generation would compensate or recompensate for their lack of understanding by doing these kind of acts. And I, well, I notice it. When you watch them wudu wudu, it is a serious wudu, man. They wash those hands, that face, the ears, then all neck behavior as well. You know, all that full, you know, when they wash their feet. When I watch my father wash his feet, I'm like, whoa, man. You know, he proper kills that foot. You know, like proper behavior. And it's just, it makes complete sense to me. It makes complete sense to me. Because that's the way that he connects. He makes it real for himself. Because he doesn't have another option. And our problem is that we know the ruling, we know where it happened, we know why it happened, we can tell you the fiqh of it, the sunnah of it, whatever, whatnot, we, got, we don't connect it to it, connect to it in a, in a spiritual uh, fashion. We just keep it legal. So I'm saying, of course, both of these positions are unacceptable. We have to have this understanding that we do our religion based upon knowledge, but we must be able to make it a part, a means to get to an end, which is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it becomes an act of ibadah. So when you're doing these acts, okay, you've got to try and do it. And one of the great things about knowledge is that if you are in a rut or in a or on cruise control, and now you do something different, you feel it. So if you're just doing this at the moment, 
you know, just literally just putting water in and then just straight out, okay? Now, when you go, when tomorrow morning, when you make wudu for fajr, keep that water in for just extra two seconds. You won't just hold it there, right? You will then swirl it around. And that actual process will make you alive during your wudu. And it will make it a real act of worship where you're thinking, wow, I'm actually doing mud mother. I'm doing what the Prophet ﷺ wanted me to do. So this is, a, this is an advice to you all, okay, that we need to become awake and aware and conscious when we're doing these acts of worship. Now, I just want to talk about um, some fiqh issues, all right? When the water goes in, I do want to say to you that according to Shaykh Al-Uthaymeen, that it is sufficient, meaning on the edge acceptable to do what we do, right? Okay, I'm putting us we this generation, which is to put the water in and take it out, put the water in take it out. And to just literally put the water so it just goes into the nostrils, yeah? Or just to literally get a wetness and just put it there and just wet the inside of the nostrils, alright? This is the absolute adna al-had, meaning the right on the edge of acceptability. And we have to aim to do it properly. And so I'm now going to explain what properly is. First of all, the water when it goes into the mouth, it is to be swelled about because the function is to clear the mouth from dirt. So if there's things stuck between the teeth or there's bad smell or this or that, whatever, it gets around and about all the way everywhere, all right? Now, what's very interesting is the scholars then discuss what happens when you um, uh, uh, do that. Is it a condition to spit it back out again? All right? According to uh, Sheikh, um, Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti, he said that it's not allowed, it's not considered madmada unless you spit that water back out again. It is a condition to spit it out. You may think that's darn obvious, right? But it's not. If you're just yani, literally just putting water in, we might as well then drink it then, isn't it? If you're not really giving it the full, you know, the full behavior, then there's no, what's the point? So, Sheikh Muhammad Bakhtar Shankit says it's a condition to spit the water out. Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen, <coughs> Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen, he says though, he says that if a person doesn't spit it out but he swallows it, then it is acceptable. His madmada is accepted. He goes, it either needs to come out or it needs to go in. Right? Whereas Sheikh Muhammad Muhtar al-Shakriti is saying it needs to come out. It needs to come out. Swallowing it will not be acceptable. So I think that's just a, a point that I wanted to to mention now, the next point, the next statement is that it should be exaggerated. Mubalagha. The word mubalagha comes from bulugh. Balagha actually means to reach something. All right. When something reaches something, balagha fulan ila whatever. That Mr. Fulan he reached this end. So when mubalagha means exaggerate because you've reached the end. All right. The, when we say exaggerate. You can only exaggerate to something which is the very furthest aspect of that field. When we say, when uh, you know, if you if you if you're going somewhere and you push it to the maximum, so that's what that's what mubalagha means to exaggerate as much as possible. Now, what's very interesting for me is that the the Imam Hajawi has mentioned here that you exaggerate both in the washing of the mouth and the nose, but actually, when it comes to a hadith point of view, we don't have any hadith which mention exaggerating in the washing of the mouth. There is no hadith. Actually, all of the hadith talk about, the, the famous hadith are the hadith of fitrah. 
that there are 10 things from the fitrah. You know, like the cutting of the nails and the uh, wudu and istinja and uh, circumcision and so on and so forth, so forth. And from there, one of them is to, to uh, exaggerate in cleaning the nose. And the scholars, all the scholars have said the reason for this, that we still apply the ruling to the mouth, is because when you emphasize the washing of the nose and it to be exaggerated in, then the mouth is even more obvious, meaning it's accepted as part and parcel of the statement. So when the hadith says that you exaggerate in washing the nose, the mouth is already considered to be part of that. The mouth is already considered to be part of that. What would be the exaggeration? The exaggeration will be gargling, all right? Whacking it around, blah de blah this, that, whatever, and then gargling. They said that it should reach the uh, the uvula, the you know, the... Um, the boxing bag at the back. What's that called? Uvula. <laughs> it's called the uvula. You know what I mean by uvula? Uvula, yeah? You know the thing when you open your mouth and that little thing which is wiggling down in the middle, yeah? Miskeen. Yeah? Speedball. <clears throat> huh? Speedball. Speedball. This is what it looks like, isn't it? It looks like that thing that you'd whack about, right? So that, that there is what we're referring to. The water will touch that. If you understand that the water is going to touch that, now you also then know why the Prophet ﷺ said that the one who is fasting doesn't do this. And that's why the statement is there, because obviously that's going to get swallowed, isn't it? Okay? And likewise, when it comes to Istin, when it comes to. Is that it? Yeah? That's a, that's a messed up uvula, man. What kind of uvula is that? That's not normal, huh? That's like a double split or something, huh? Can you find a normal uvula? Can I pack out? Is that yours? <laughs> Can you find us a normal insani one? That one in the middle, yeah, that one there, Miskin. He's got a lovely uvula, that one. There, yeah, him. No, no, you pack. Next to it, man. Honestly, man. We know what uvula is, Zakalakhir, right. So, um, <clears throat> now tell me what's interesting. You know, packs. We love doing the old finger and a mouth behavior, right? There's no basis for this. There's only one hadith, which well, there are a few hadiths, but they're all weak. So actually, the use of the finger in the mouth is not part of madmada or the wudu. If a person was using his finger to clean his mouth as part of the process, that's okay. But he shouldn't believe that this is part of wudu. Like technically, this is the worship. But it's like he's thinking, you know, my mouth is not getting clean. He picks up a toothbrush. Whilst he's rinsing, whilst he's rinsing his mouth, and he does a little scrub to get some meat out or something like that, that's permissible. It's good. So likewise, if a person's using his finger to uh, dislodge this and that, whatever, as part of his uh, cleaning, then, <clears throat> then that's fine. Then that's fine. Now, I want to say that likewise for the uh, for the for the nose, <clears throat> for the nose, you can imagine what it is. It's putting that water there and snuffing up. Now, for some people, that's a killer. Alright? It is really, really difficult to do that. You have a brain kind of moment. I don't know what they call it. Yeah, it like completely, you know, knocks you out. So, I'm, I'm one of them. I can't do that at all. So, what I'm, what I'm saying to you is that, as Sheikh Uthameen, he mentions here, that if there are people who have some kind of sinus problems, or they have issues which would be harmed by this, then... Uh, don't don't uh, exaggerate in the sniffing up of this water 
to keep away any harm, protect yourself from any problem. During when we're fasting, yes, done, yes, doing this exaggerated rinsing the mouth and taking it through your nose, do we need to sort of like cool it down a bit so we don't? Yeah, that, that, that is the exact statement that we're explaining. <clears throat> uh, beginning by rinsing the mouth and then rinsing the nose, exaggerating in the two, except when fasting. Okay, except when fasting, and this is because. Uh, <clears throat> The evidence for that is the hadith of Laqit ibn Sabra, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he said that the Prophet sallallahu, uh, when, the, when the Prophet sallallahu sorry, said to Laqit ibn Sabra, he said, Asbih bil wudu' wa khalil bayna asabi' wa balak fil isnishaq illa an takuna sa'ima. Do your wudu' properly and run your fingers between one another and Exaggerate in the sniffing, uh, in the rinsing of your, no- of your nose, except if you are fasting. Except if you are fasting. And this hadith has been narrated. And this hadith has been narrated by Imam Ahmed and Abu Dawood. And it was considered to be authentic by Imam al-Nawawi and al-Tirmidhi and Ibn Khuzayma and Hakim. The hadith, inshallah, is sahih. But this is a principle which is agreed upon by the scholars of fiqh. It's obvious. You're going to take water up, it's going to go down. And remember that what breaks the fast. Any water which reaches the, the esophagus and on the way down, well, khalas then. If you knew that you were doing it, all right, you knew. So, okay, I've got to be careful there. I've got to be careful. I don't want to take water in. I don't want to take water in. Okay, but I do want to clean my nose properly. And you sniff it up, then I see you've broken the fast. Because you know what you're doing, you know the danger, and you shouldn't have exaggerated therein. Whereas if you are, you know, completely not thinking about anything, you're fasting, and you go in there, and you just went straight into your wudu process, you gargle, you do that, and then you feel some water go down, and you're thinking, huh? And then you think, oh my God, I'm fasting, right? Then it has not broken the fast. That's just the ruling on that uh, water. Okay, folks? Now, also I want to talk about what is the sunnah in terms of how to wash this? Again, I will show you physically this when we do the full wudu later. But I want, I want you to know that the Prophet ﷺ would use one hand, his right hand, and he would take a handful of water. There's two ways the sunnah has been narrated. All right? And the issue is easy. Meaning you don't have to follow this exactly, but it's a sunnah to do so. That he would take water and he would use one handful of water to wash both the mouth and the nostrils. So the same handful would be to take from, yeah? And now we're doing the, the, the mouth now, gargling, cleaning, whatever, spit out. And the same handful of water goes into the nostrils as well. And then you can use the finger to clean, and then you rinse out. That's one handful of water. Then the second one happens again, mouth, nose, okay? And then third one, mouth, and then nose, three times. This is the first way of doing it. And this is their most established sunnah. The second way of doing it is to take that handful of water and then wash the mouth once and then twice and then three times and then wash the nose with a handful of water once, twice, three times. Should be enough in that single handful. If not, I need to go back three times, then that's okay. Remember, reducing water generally is a sunnah in of itself. Reducing water generally is a sunnah in itself. Um, The first one... The first one, the first one is the 
is, has been narrated in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd, okay, which is to do everything three times from the same. So water, nose, uh, mouth, nose, mouth, nose, mouth, nose, three times. And the second version, which is to wash the mouth three times with three, uh, three handfuls of water and then... Uh, uh, and then do the nose then second time is also uh, also authentically narrated from the sunnah but i can't see the reference for it uh here i can't see the reference for it here Khair, that's no problem but it is it is acceptable the issue and i just want to say imagine that you couldn't get water in your hands imagine that for example you had a hose and maybe you couldn't use your hand or whatever and you took the hose and you 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 know you, you you like hold it like that into your mouth, and then you spat it out, and then you hold it in your nostrils some kind of crazy way. I don't know. I'm just making up as I go along. Then that would be okay. It would be okay. All right. Because the issue fihi sa'a, Sheikh Abdul Ghafar's favorite statement. Al amr fihi sa'a. It's it is as long as you accept that it, it came from Sheikh. Okay. Then. Although, tonight, we are Hanafi, we always raise this Hanbali class, but now he's gone to Hanafi. I always told you. I'm a secret Hanafi, man. I've always been a secret Hanafi drinker. Anyway, so, uh, okay, so now let's quickly jump on to the um, next part, which is the uh, statement of, and running one's fingers through the beard, okay? So now, as you can see, we've ignored the washing of the face because that's an obligation. He's now just talking about the sunnah acts. According to Imam al-Hajjawi, it is a sunnah to run the thick beard, you have to run your thing, fingers through it, like this, okay? Like that, alright? So you run your fingers through the beard. And there's a number of ways this happens. Let's just quickly talk about this, alright? The beard is of two types. It's either very short, okay, or it's long. So if it's long, then the fingers will go through it. If it's short, then there's nothing to go through because it's just stuck like that. Yeah, so the fingers will not go through it. Now, the thin beard will not cover the face, correct? And when the thin beard doesn't cover the face, meaning you can see the skin, then it becomes an obligation to wash the skin. The water must reach the skin. If you can see the skin. And the only time you're going to see the skin is when it's thin. Uh, short, sorry. Whereas when a... The reason that we have this issue here now is because the beard is thick. And when the beard is thick and long, then you can't see the skin. So therefore now the ruling to wash the skin itself changes. It's not an obligation anymore. To wash the actual skin behind the beard. Now we've got to deal with the beard. But now let's go into a little bit of detail to see what Sheikh Al-Uthameen he says. He says that the, to understand the ruling of this, you have to understand the word of wajh. To, uh, to wash the face is uh, an obligation. The wajh is an obligation. And what does word wajh mean? It means facing. Okay? From muwajaha. means that which is facing. So anything which is facing has to be washed. And a beard is what's facing. But if, for example, the beard is so short that the skin is facing... That's why you have to wash the skin underneath the beard. If the hair is what's facing and you can't see the skin, then the obligation then comes on the actual beard itself. Meaning that the, the hukam applies to the beard itself. Now, Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen, he says, it is not obligatory to, uh, 
وهذه لا يجب إلا غسل ضائع. It is only required to um, to wash the outside, meaning the facing hairs. You know what? There's 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 three aspects of a beard. There's the facing hair. There's the hair which is behind, for example, like uh, behind. Uh, uh, uh. So if you have a facing hair, all right, you've got this front part. Then you've got hair which is behind, which is like layered. Okay, so I could split the beard like that. Yes. So there's hair behind, and the third aspect is the roots. Now we will come to the roots later because the roots have an important ruling in tahara. For the woman, for example, when she needs to have a bathroom janaba, does she have to get the water to the roots? Many women will know that they have their hair tied up in all that, you know, braids and all that bakwasian, you know, whatever. And they, sometimes they spend a lot of time doing all that nonsense. I don't know, yeah? And so when they go to the bath, it's not, they're not even fussed about the bath. They're fussed about spending half an hour undoing their, you know, fashion program, whatever, I don't know what it is. So the question is, is that do we need to obligate upon them to take it off? And the rulings of the scholars will apply then. So and this is called al-mustarsal, meaning that which basically is the root of the hair. Do we need to wash these as well? So this is the discussion of the fuqaha, which we need to try to understand. Now, um, Sheikh Al-Uthameen says that the madhab of the, of the Hanbalis is that when you are doing the beard, you have to do the roots as well. That Hanbali said is obligatory to not just do, not just for example, get a wet hand and do that, okay? But you have to literally get in and make sure that your fingers touch the roots so that it becomes wet as well. He said that the reason, and he goes, that's because that's because part of the, the thing which is facing. <clears throat> this is because what it's what's, what, what because it's facing the people. Some of the scholars said it is not obligatory. Just like when you wipe your hair, you don't do all this. Yes? When you wipe your hair, it doesn't matter how thick your hair is, it's just straight over. Whether you're bald or huge mane, you're just going to go, psh, psh, yes? You're not going to go to the bottom of the actual hair. And Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen, he says, in my opinion, meaning his own opinion, he says that... For me, I think that the roots of the beard must be included, must be washed, yeah, and it must be included. He goes, and the reason for that is because there's a difference between, this is nice, there's a difference between the hair on the beard and the hair on the head. He goes, because the hair on the head, all of it, when it goes long, the roots are still muajaha, facing. They're still facing. And the ruling of washing the beard hair only comes from the fact that it's what's facing. And to wash what's facing is an obligation. Okay? Wujuhakum. Allah says in the Quran to wash wujuhakum in an obligatory fashion. So anything which is on the face has to be washed. As for the hair on the head, well, biru'usikum. Allah says in the Quran to wipe biru'usikum on your heads. Rats means the highest part of something. So the ruling on the head is not to get to the roots of the head, but on the top of the head. And the top of the head is the top part of the hair, not even the bottom part of the hair. So he goes that the two types of ruling for the two types of hair is completely different. And therefore, what is acceptable for that is not the same for, wash, for, uh, 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 for uh, doing this, for uh, going through the, uh, the, the beard. Okay, there's two ways that you can do this. There's two ways that you can 
rush, uh, uh, put the water through the beard. The first one, Sheikh Al-Thameen says, is that you take a, a handful of water and you put it underneath, okay? You put it underneath and then you rub it like this. Okay? Like this. So you've got water and then you're rubbing it from underneath just generally. Alright, that's the first, the first way. Okay? And so therefore the, all the water has got... You know khalal, takhallala comes from a khalal. Khalal means naqs, It means like, uh, you know naqs means um, uh, 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 deficiency in something. Yeah? Like, let me give you an example. When we, uh, uh, if I was to ask for like a, a door to be made, an oak door, complete of oak, and then there's like a, a gap in there, all right? Then we would say this is a khalal. We'd say this is a naqs, the guy messed up, he didn't make it properly, he didn't stretch the wood properly, and there's a weak part, and that weak part, if it gets rotten and water goes in, then the whole thing wouldn't start to collapse, right? So we'll call this a khalal. Actually, the word khalal means a small gap. But the small gap here is very damaging and it is considered to be a deficiency. I can now go back and claim my money back and say there's a deficiency. Do you understand that? Okay. So the word khalal is actually meaning deficiency, but linguistically it means a small gap and a small gap causing a problem. Here, the word khalal is referring to the gaps between the beards. So when you do takhalul, it basically means making sure you're hitting all the gaps. You're getting through all the small gaps and so on. That's a linguistic connection with why the Prophet used to, used to, and yet the khalal. Okay, how he, why he used to go through the beard. So the second manner is where you use your hands, okay, like a comb. So your hands are wet, so you take the water, wet your hands, and then you just go through it. And this is the most common and the most easiest way. Alright, so you go through it. Yes? It is sufficient to do it three times. Yani the idea is to make sure that it's all done. One is sufficient, and three, one is the minimum, I should say, not sufficient. One is what is considered to be the minimum, and three times is, we're going to come to that in a minute, but three times is the, what we call the completion, the perfection of wudu. Second time, two times is better than one, and three times is uh, perfection. Okay, so, and this is based upon the hadith of Uthman radiallahu anhu, when he said, كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يخلل لحيته في الوضوء. The hadith which has been narrated by Imam Tirmidhi, and it's the hadith inshallah which is sahih. And its points are all there by Ibn Qattan, and uh, Tirmidhi, Ibn Khuzayma, and Ibn Muraqin. He considered this to be, uh, he considered this to be a hadith hasan. Imam al-Bukhari, this is very interesting, Imam al-Bukhari, he said a comment on this hadith. He said that the most authentic thing that I have concerning the running of the fingers through the beard is the, this hadith of Uthman. And someone said, but they talk about this hadith. Meaning that they, they, they when, when we say they talk about it, meaning they criticize it. The scholars criticize it. He said, no, no, it's okay. It's a, it's a good hadith. Not good enough for me to put into my, my Sahih Bukhari, my Jamal Sahih, but it's okay. I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting uh, uh, point there. Yeah. No? Okay. Um, so therefore we can conclude that to actually go through the beard in this manner where we actually uh, run our fingers through it, it is a sunnah. Now, 
uh, I think we'll close with this final uh, point. I think it's, not, it's interesting. It's a nice side tangent. Sheikh Uthameen, he said, the scholars have considered that there are three ways that the, there are three When tahur, what does tahur mean? Honestly, I'm telling you now, we are celebrating a one-year anniversary of a class. I swear, if you don't understand this, you're not getting squat from sweets. That's a disgrace. We're celebrating the fact that you've covered this for one year. Literally celebrate. Okay? I'm just saying to you, perhaps right now, yeah? That if you don't get this right, yeah, there's going to be, there will be blood. Is that the film? Yeah, there will be blood. Yeah. Good thing, alhamdulillah, uncle doesn't want any sweets because he only has Pakistan halwa. Just taking the nice ones first. Yeah. No, no, just, yeah, this is, I, this is Morbi's, uh, Prerogative. Don't hate, okay? Don't hate, right? Okay, right. What does tahur mean? What does tahur mean? What does tahur mean? Don't say you do, you mouth it to me. What does tahur mean? 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 Mouth it. What does tahur mean? What does tahur mean? What does tahur mean? What does tahur mean? You pack. What does tahur mean? What does tahur mean? What does tahur fatha? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Oh my God! You pack. <laughs> I'm going to take this to uncle because the guy's going to complain for the next 26 weeks if we don't give him the trees. Yeah. Don't say now, no. Give it all to your. Take it and give it to all your Tabligh Jamaat friends as well. <laughs> right. So, Tahur means purifying, that which purifies, okay? Tahur means purifying. So, what is that referring to then? I said that there are three ways in which the Tahur reaches the beard. And that the way uh, uh, that uh, that reaches the beard and what's beneath it, and that's divided into three different ways. So my question is, what does tahur here refer to? If we are going to say that the way that the tahur applies to the beard and how it gets to the beard and through to the skin, that type of cleansing is divided into three parts. So what do I mean by the word tahur here now, practically speaking? I just have a pity on you, Pat. Yeah, like no. Nope. No, no. What does Tahur here refer to? No. Just? Is water the only Tahur thing? What does purifying mean? When we say at Tahur, what does that mean? No. Good. At-tahur. Correct. At-tahur means that which purifies. What are the things which purify? 
Water and turab. Earth, dirt, in the process are called tayammum. Whenever you see a scholar not use the word water and he mentions the word tahur, he always wants to introduce into the discussion the dirt or the earth. Do you understand? So when you use tahur, there are three ways that you can wash your beard and face. Okay, here we go. Very quickly. The first one is when, the first type is when it is obligatory for that tahur to reach your skin. It is obligatory for that tahur to reach your skin. Okay. Two points. Two chocolates. For the one who tells me where, when is that? Ghusl. Very good. Okay. Are you happy with that? That's not bad. See that, yeah? One hand is going again, sir. Oh, you blacked it, you see? You never said mashallah, bro. You're still throwing? Well, call one, call two, call three, call four. In four fingers, did you see that? Mashallah, Bobby J, yara. Have you seen him making a milkshake? He's like that cocktail maker in Tom Cruise, he does all this business. You've not seen him? On Women's La Road, yeah. We know you go there, Chef. give it up. Right, so, so this is in the ghusl, okay? In the proper ghusl from Janaba, it is an obligation to get the water, and it's water now, through the beard and onto the skin. Regardless of how thick your beard is, water has to touch everywhere, everywhere, in the proper major ghusl. This is because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the hadith of Aisha, she said, Can a Nabi the Prophet would pour over his head water until he was sure that the skin had been wetted, and then he would pour upon it, and then and then he would do that three times. He would then pour upon it three times. So he would pour over his head water until he was sure. Until he was sure that his skin had all been wetted. Then a father alayhi Then he would then pour over it three times, more water and carrying and carrying on. This hadith has been narrated by Imam al-Bukhari and in Muslim. Okay? And then there's another hadith which he quotes, which is it's a shi'r, a shar that wash the skin, uh, wash the hair and cleanse the skin. Wash the 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 wash the do uh, ghusl of the uh, hair and cleanse the skin. But this hadith, okay, this hadith is da'if, okay. In fact, da'if jiddan, and that was considered to be the case by Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad Al Bukhari, Abu Hatim Al Razi, Dawood Al Bayhaqi, Al Nawawi. Yani they all came there, okay. So it's not it's not down. So that's the first type. The second type of getting the tahur to your beard, that where it is not obligatory to get the tahur to that which is underneath the hair. Okay, uh, one second. That type where it is not obligatory to get the tahur underneath the hair, regardless whether it is khafifan or kathifan. Regardless of whether it's thick or thin or short. What is that? No. 
Or an exact example. Yeah. When? Give me an example. When you, when you um, put the dirt over your face. Okay. So you just put the dirt over your face. Very good. Okay, very good. One hand. Oh, you dropped it straight away. What was that? Oh, complete fail that is. Right. Okay, that's good. Yes, are we happy with that? The answer to that is the tahara of tayammum. When you have the turab, you strike the turab, one wipe, and then one wipe. You don't go, you know, and try to get it into your face and whatever, whatnot. Yeah, so there's no uh, point. And then the third one, what is obligatory to get the tahur to that which is underneath the beard, if it is thick. If it is thin, sorry. Whereas if it is thick, it is not obligatory. So the third type is, when you have to get the tahur to the skin underneath the beard, if the beard is thin. But if the beard is thick, then you don't need to. Whoa, sheikh. All right, there we go. One hand, okay? Choose your hand. I want to see. Choose your hand. Honestly, have you seen a Somali catch? <laughs> right. There we go. Okay. That was because he did such a great job of catching, yeah? It's like when a woman catches, have you seen it? She goes, it's like it's only, it's only, it's only sweet. The eyes go wide, panic sets in. So the third type is then the, uh, uh, the third, as I said, is wudu. Very good, okay? And I think that's it, inshallah. I think that that's uh, good. He also, I'll tell you if you, if you, if you want to hear something interesting, which he closes with, he goes, uh, He's just gone on a tangent. So I'm going to ask the tangent that he asks. He goes, if you've got someone who's bald, he doesn't have any hair at all on his head, and he turns up for Umrah. After the Umrah, does he, what does he have to do? He's completely bald. So there's two types. There's taqsir, which is shortened, and halq, which is to... Shave, yes? What do you think? Shave? Nothing there. Still shave. Anyone? Anyone want to think of that? Oh, yes. The question is, I'm not used to this one. I'm going to take some time working out which one I've got to black. Toblerone. Yeah, I think Toblerone. Oh, this has got that, that cream egg one, yeah. Oh, it's got the Cadbury's caramel ones. It's got dairy milk here. This is a good one, man. What are you laughing for, yeah? Right, come on in. Who's going to get that right? Because I know the sisters have been getting upset, so I just need to just do thingy. Disclaimer, okay? Don't get, you know, don't sue me or anything like that. Bismillah! This is like a mucket class. Tidy up! I'll tidy up the sweets, don't worry. Tidy up, making out like it's some kind of big mission. Tidying up. There you go, Ali. Forget it, brother.
Bismillah, boys. Everyone who's online, that's why you should come to the class. You know what I'm saying? Yeah? Right, okay. Those boys there, yeah? There you go. Right, so. Sheikh Rathameen, he goes, some of the scholars said that you would actually still run the uh, blade over the head. You'd still do it. Okay? And that's been narrated in Al-Insaf, the, 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 the book of Hamli Fiqh. And Sheikh Rathameen, he goes, to be honest, there's no benefit to this whatsoever. Because, and I like what he says. He goes, because the, 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 the running of a blade over the head is not what has been required here. It's not maqsoodun lizatihi. That's not the objective. The illa is not to run a blade or to get a scissor. The, the illa is to get rid of the hair. So if the hair is gone, so why are you just going over it again? And so therefore he goes, that once you are, once it's impossible, uh, yani once, there's no, uh, once nothing happens as a result of it, there's no, there's, no, there's no position. He goes, this is similar, and what do you think about this? To the mute one, you know the one who is mute, can't speak, yeah? What is the condition of Surah Al-Fatiha in Salah? When you're praying by yourself? Has to be recited. It's not something where you can just go there and then do it in your brain. You know a lot of packs do that, you know that, yeah? They just say it in their brain. You have to actually verbalize it, actualize it. So the mute one, he can't speak. What do you think, folks? So he says, some of the scholars, he said, some of the scholars said that that person must recite Fatiha, must move his, his uh, 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 tongue and his lips, and he doesn't, even though he doesn't have any sound that comes out. And Shaykh Uthami, he goes, He goes, this is completely pointless. What is the point of that? He goes, because the point of moving your lisan, your tongue and your lips, is to try and get sound out. And to pronounce and to recite. But when kind of have the then if this is something which is not possible, then your moving of your tongue and whatever is abath. Waste of time. That's interesting. He closes with that. So I think we'll close as well. Jazakumullah khair. Um, the, uh, do you have anything to say? Notes, please go and check them out. Yes, questions. Could I take some quick questions <coughs> online to see what's going on there? Why the obsession with a woman's virginity? What if she discovers he's not a virgin? That's equally disappointing. And it's her right to have a chaste man too. This is, a, this is not a dars in moral ethics about who's being disappointed or not. I think the question is saying, why the obsession with female virginity? And why not the man? This is not a, moral, this is not a class which is making a moral judgment that the man's virginity being lost is not as bad as the woman's virginity being lost. We, this is a class which is describing the nature of what a bikr was. <laughs> not me yani, saying that, you know, it's okay for the man to lose his virginity, but not the woman. What kind of bakwas is that? Yep. Is it non-Muslim and the woman loses, then So if a non-Muslim couple who are married, proper marriage, consummated in everything, they become Muslim, she's not considered bikr. Okay. But she's not a virgin though, right? Yeah. So she's not bicker. Yeah. Oh, oh, you see? Allahu Akbar. You see? The men always, they, they always put, you know the men? Yeah? 
What's this for? Is this for me or what? No, I've got a question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ask away, brother. Ask away. <laughs> is supporting Premiership football team like following the cult? Because in Islam, like you said, we mustn't try and be like the non-Muslim. Take a chocolate back out of it. That's bribing. The Premiership football teams, a lot of it's all about, you know, footballers do haram things and footballers are the teams finance by that finance. So if we're getting obsessed with a specific team or player, are we trying to copy the non-Muslims? Okay. That's a very, it's a very important question. Okay? But let's just make sure that there are questions on the topic that we just make sure are covered here then I'll do that. Then at least people because some people are waiting to go sleep it's like 12 o'clock for them or 11, 1 o'clock or whatever. So let's just quickly do the questions online and thingy and then we'll talk about this here. We'll do it online as well, because I think it's a good question. Yeah. Um, please clarify, is it someone to take water in the mouth and nose in one motion? It is the it is more narrated from the Prophet that he would do in there's a, there's a, you know when I said there's two ways of taking the water. First is to use one and then wash the mouth and the nose from one. That itself has been divided into two, meaning pause into nose and then out. Yeah, there's a pause in there, isn't there? The other way is to literally, literally, all in one motion, which is pretty hard, by the way, right? It's literally in, so it's, uh, your mouth goes, it goes into the mouth, you're already starting your mud mother, you've squirted it up, and then, so it's all now hands empty, it was all done in one go. These are both narrated, okay? And uh, to say sunnah, all of them are sunnah, but people should do what's easier, that's really difficult. Uh, yes. Um, can you just clarify the, you know you said when you're washing your mouth like it's not sunnah to use your finger. Yeah. Um, I'm just a bit confused when we did the um, chapter of the two skip. Yes. The text said brushing your teeth using a soft twig and then it says it was sunnah all times. Yeah. And then towards the end we said the class position was um, anything which cleans the teeth achieves the sunnah during the wudu but siwak is better. Correct. What we, what we mean here is this. What is not sunnah, and in fact worse, it's actually bid'ah, is to believe that to use your finger is part and parcel of the mud-mother process. Does that make sense? Mud-mother means to rinse your mouth. If you believe that I cannot rinse my mouth without using my finger to go around, that's wrong. That's a bid'ah. And the reason why people do believe that is because there's a hadith narrated by Imam Ahmed that to want to use the finger during my mother is part of it. But this is a hadith which is weak. And so that's what we mean. Now, going back to what you mentioned about siwak being sunnah at all times, especially during wudu, before wudu, and if you were to get your siwak in the middle and you would do it, that is just part of wudu. You are not saying that that's part of mud mother, that that's actually part and intrinsic process of the mention of the mouth. The mud mother is done and complete whether you use a tooth stick or, or brush or finger or not. Yeah. Amen. Um, um, could you clarify the third way of washing the beard? We only said two ways. Oh, you mean the three t- types? Three types, yeah. So the first, the first type, no, no, no. We said that, uh, that when it comes to water reaching the skin, there are three different types. 
Uh, one where it's obligatory for it to touch the skin, that's when you're doing the ghusl from Janaba. That's water. The second where it's not obligatory to touch the skin at all, that's when you're using dirt in Tayammum. The third is when you're making wudu. If your beard is thick, it doesn't need to go to the bottom. And if it's thin, then it must touch the skin. That's wudu. The, then I talked about when you're making wudu, there's two types of way of making the, the thingy, the takhlil. Uh, uh, okay? One is to get the water and to go underneath and then to rub it into the roots. Okay? To rub it into the roots and massage it in. So there way you're kind of scrunching up the hair and it's all going, you know, it's getting the job done. Like I think how people do their dyeing and stuff. Yeah? And then the other way is just to make the hands wet and then to go all the way through. Alright, like that. Yeah, yes, Nasser. Yeah, Is a sunnah. But if something is an obligation and it builds upon another obligation, like for example, the washing of the face is the first obligation. Yeah. So once he's washed his face, then he does the nose and mouth. So why did, why is it not that they're saying that you do this twice? Because you cannot replace an action which is only a sunnah with, with that which you are saying is an obligation. So the act is not sunnah, is it? The washing of the nose and the mouth is not considered sunnah. What you just described there would would apply if we considered the act of the washing of the mouth and the nose to be sunnah. But that's not the issue at, at hand here. Bada'atul madmada is the timing. But they also said that the tatib of the action is, is a duty. Is a duty with, uh, 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 with relation to the obligations. And we're going to come to that inshallah in about maybe three weeks time. So what they're saying is that your... The tartib refers to the obligatory acts alone. But uh, the nose and mouth is obligation. Obligatory, but if you were to wash it before, it is the sunnah. Before you wash the actual face. It will be made clear when we come to the, the section on obligation, inshallah. Any other questions? Yes. Sheikh when you mentioned the hadith of Aisha, where the Prophet used to put water. Yes. Yes. And then after that, he used to put water on top of that three times addition, in addition to that. This is not... The, the hadith of Aisha referring to how he used to wash himself is the normal hadith of ghusl. Not something specific to the hair or the beard at all. It's actually just referring to the skin. Meaning that when he would rub himself down, he would then... Rubbing himself would be our analogy with soap. Get, you know, when we get a soap, we go into every single corner and every part, and then we then pour the water. That would be then the three times of pouring of the water. So after you've confirmed that the job's done, now it's the rinsing clean. So is there any fact that in this in that when we will do, I've kind of heard uh, that perhaps you want to mention that he did say that two is better than one. And, and it will come. It will come next week, inshallah. Any other questions? We're done? Okay, so... If you need to go, you can go. Uh, what the brother uh, asked uh, a question uh, about uh, supporting a football team and um, knowing the fact that it's actually very cultish. And even today, subhanAllah, I was looking, um, I was watching the uh, I player a match of day two. And what's his name? Who scored? Uh, Arsenal. Um, uh, when they scored their goal and, I was, and the, 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 the camera went to the crowd. And they looked like what was it looked like Allah, but it looked like a Muslim in there. He was going nuts. 
Subhanallah, he was going nuts, man. I mean, you know, his reaction was so, he's so happy. And this is a very clear evidence of, of something which is more beloved to people than Allah and His Messenger. Because we would ask, not just him, Miskeen, but anyone, has anyone in their life ever been so happy about anything to do with their deen or their life like they were when that goal went in? Yani, he was like he was about to die of happiness. Celebration. Yeah, celebrating, but still, it's just celebrating so much. I mean, we have, what, we pass exams, we, we, we have kids, we learn Fatiha. When have we ever celebrated like that? It's like, you know, like, well done, let's get the celebrations out. Yep. Let's have a Toblerone or something like that, which is a good excuse to have a Toblerone. But it's a celebration. It was a, it was a good goal to pass. Yeah. So, um, also sponsored by Haram. Also, a lot of dodgy practices. In my personal opinion, I will add, I also believe that it's impermissible. Yeah, anyway. The entire model of the football club is impermissible. And playing for a football club, in my opinion, is also close to, if not impermissible. It's impermissible or close to impermissible. They only get away with it if they don't have shares in the club or they don't have a part of the club. Why? When you do pure pesa with me one day, inshallah, you will learn the principle that paying to enter a competition, which is what needs to happen, they have to pay subs and subscriptions and dues to the different competitions that they're in, in return for the possibility to, uh, to win the top prize where they get big cash prizes, this is pure, pure timar, this is completely impermissible. So actually the entire business model of sports teams is based upon impermissibility. So there is nothing actually permissible about football clubs being part of them or the, the religion which is that they've been made into and so on and so forth. I think, it's, I think it is one of the most impermissible things possible for a Muslim to be involved in from a financial or aqidah or, or in this kind of way. At the same time, is it permissible for a Muslim to do football? Of course. Is it permissible for Muslim to support a team in a way like, for example, I support a team? Which is that, you know what? I'm gutted that Moise is uh, yani, uh, going through some bakwas at the moment. Hopefully he turns it round. If we finish 20th in the, in the uh, league of 18, okay? Meaning yani, b- two, points, two positions below even what's possible. Nothing will change in my life. And if Van Persie scores a last minute goal the other day, I'll have a smile for about 20 minutes. And I go on a Facebook and I go on a Twitter and that's it. And I think that's permissible. It doesn't enter into my heart. It might put me into a nice mood, yani, just for the sake of whatever. I don't consider anyone from another club to be in any way inferior or superior. I think it's a, 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 it's a good pastime that people can relax to if they're doing other things in between where they need a, a, a way out. It cannot and must not be taken even 10% as serious as some of these people do. And what they say and how they, you know, they get upset and get crying and their love. These are all haram. There is no doubt about it. To show that level of haram and that level or that level of emotion, that level of de- uh, depression, that level of love. Then no heart which loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can, uh, 
kind of showed that kind of thing to, to, to Abbas. Is it comparable to like going to like concerts where you see people screaming at pop stars and stuff like that? Of course, that emotion is exactly the same. Yeah, a football star is as big as any as any celebrity or music star. They're all they're all waste of time. You know? This is a general statement, of course. There are, you know, some good people here and there and whatever, whatnot. But uh, Allah knows best. Okay? Alright, so we call it with that. Jazakumullahu khaira. And inshallah, see you guys next week. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi We didn't get sweets. Extra sweets going around. I advise you, Yanni. Because this one here is not shy about keeping them, believe me. Ladif passes from. Brothers aren't leaving. Give to the sisters. Well, I don't deserve it back. No, no, leave, leave them, leave them. They've got pure sweets. Give it to the sisters, man. Give it to the sisters. Alright. There you go. There you go. Go ahead, did you get one? I'm going to take another one, but yeah. Uh-huh. Don't do that, man. What are you going to do? I didn't do that.